I watch film, but I'd be honest, I mean, when I first started watching film, I was just watching the game. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at NFL on Twitter. And of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And as usual, join by me out, buddy. <laughs> Mr. Ryan J. Peacock, what's going on? I tell you what, you're going to do yourself an injury one of these days. It's a surprise you haven't pulled your plonker or a muscle or something. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of hanging off. It's hanging off at this stage. I do have a, have a nice little Green Bay Packer ball clamp at the desk. I like to crank that bad boy up. But right now, it's a, it's, it's a weird one this week. We're not starting off with our usual banter. Hashtag banter. It's our draft podcast. Way! Something to actually yeah. talk about. Crazy. It's a bit serious, isn't it? It's, it's suddenly got very real. The, the, the draft is around the corner. Mm. It's the end of mock drafts that seem like... Doesn't it seem like now that mock drafts begin in the very first week of the season and they just continue to change and change and change right up to the very last minute? And I would love to know the actual percentage of mock drafts that get anywhere close. Zero. Zero. Like, you see these lads going, oh, here, I've got my eighth version. And you're like, on eighth version, really? I know. Let's face mm-hmm. it. If you went into work and it took you eight, nine, ten attempts to get something right, you wouldn't be in work very long, would you? No, and they still get it wrong. So, I mean, yeah, it's all <laughs> guesswork. It's fun to do, but you can't uh, say sort of no to people because it's something tangible, something juicy that they can uh, grasp onto. But if anyone was listening, and if you're not listening, honestly, I mean, you know, what's wrong with you? If you were listening to the last podcast, our fan of the week was an absolute hero of ours, number 12 on the UK Packers membership number. He is the QB of the Packers, um, UK Packers, was Andy Davies. And we've got Andy Davies back on the line because not only is he number 12, he's the quarterback extraordinaire for our flag games. He also is kind of the kit man, isn't he? He kind of brings all the bollards and all the rest of it. He has us, has us covered. Andy Davies is back on because he's our draft guru. Andy, what's going on, buddy? Good evening, chaps. Yeah, the uh, Ballard Guru, yes, that's a, a new title for me, yeah. Equipment Manager next. <laughs> equipment Manager, yeah, you were. We called you the coach the last time, which you took offence, boy. So we do apologise. <laughs> we always bring you yeah, on when you insult. I think the... Uh... I think the word mock draft was invented by the English, wasn't it? Because all we do is mock the, the mock drafts, isn't it? I think it's more of a, <laughs> yeah. a wish list, isn't it? We should call it, isn't it? A wish list or a want to do. My letter to Santa for this year. Absolutely, yeah. And I think Steve's absolutely right in the fact that probably I don't think anyone takes them too seriously. But let's face it, we love we love the gossip. We love the the idea of who we may or may not sign. It's exciting. And if it doesn't do anything else, it keeps us entertained and it gives us something to talk about during the long off-season. Yeah, not a whole lot to talk about. But what we want to find out is and what we kind of want to tell listeners because, Andy, we're used to, as much as you're used to Ted Thompson's way of drafting, we're used to the way that you go about your business. And and but there's going to be an article coming really soon. Um, it's going to, You've probably have read it before you listen to this podcast because this is going to drop on the usual Sunday night for the Americans, Monday morning for everybody else, a couple of days before the draft. So we'll have... You more likely have read Andy's piece that's up on the website right now. If you haven't, uh, well, then we're just going to talk through it. So Andy just sends in these articles, and it's just it's a flowing piece of just an insane amount of research and just personal interest, really, uh, that he's done after the depression of the playoffs gone, and he starts gearing up to do his you know proper draft work. So Andy, I think what we'd like to start off is is just to reassure people that this isn't some you know bullshit 
us looking at four articles online of mock drafts and then just ambling through with someone else's opinion you know this isn't a mock draft effectively you literally cater all of your draft you know prep and all of that solely to how you think ted thompson operates how you know him to operate what packer players that we would be interested in and some criteria that you know that ted just won't touch can you step us through and the listeners through what exactly is your process and how you came to what we're about to go on to which is going through each of the draft prospects you think we could potentially land solely geared towards the packers can you can you walk us through that process yeah absolutely i mean i mean like most guys through the season I sort of um, pick up a college game a week and, and sort of take that in when I'm watching the game I'm, I'm looking at players and sort of making notes and thinking about you know could you see them in green and gold come mm. the season after and then sort of once we've um, dipped out the playoffs in the last few years as, as it sort of panned out I then sort of take a bit of a week off but then start to read some sort of trusted guys um, uh, the our lads of this world there's a guy called Matt Phillips who who's slightly comes at a different angle with it but he's very knowledgeable um, the guys at Cheesehead TV are very sort of finger on the pulse and all that but actually what I do then is start to look at footage you know, game tape um, YouTube clips things of that nature based on players that I believe fit the sort of pack a mold so as opposed to doing mock drafts based on you know 300 college wannabes and 32 NFL teams it's more based around Green Bay's needs as opposed to the generic mock draft picture that you see so much sort of publicity around and with that comes sort of begins the research really so from the end of sort of January through to where we are today you know I spend most couple of hours an evening just sort of looking at tape looking at game tape of players that I believe fit the what you described as the Ted Thompson mold yeah and can you step us through that then a little bit Andy so you say that there's a Ted Thompson mold do you see definite patterns through the way that Ted drafts per you know if you look at one position so if you were to pick cornerbacks if you were to pick linebackers do you see a definite type that he goes for i think if he goes for the position groups i think um i think about some of the players we've drafted over the last few years so if you look at sort of um dayton jones for example that we picked up sort of four years ago so that's mm. probably the last number one pick that i probably nailed but that was just based around he had a tendency to go for the bigger schools so the, the uclas of this world the alabama's he tends to stay close to sort of trusted universities that he, he really sort of sticks to. Yeah. I think there's a real um, desire. If you look at cornerback position, for example, I think they're sort of, um, if you think about some of the players we had in the past, I think we've been stung there with some shorter players. So we tend to go for the, you know, we're looking at six foot as a cutoff point for, for cornerbacks. I think that if you're taking an offensive lineman, there needs to be a sort of multitude of skill sets there. So I think it's more than just one position. This guy is going to be able to play centre guard tackle. So you're looking at a you know a guy who's versatile. So I do think there's a, a a Ted Thompson type, if you like. I've seen that sort of banded around in the media the last few days. But that's that's pretty true, you know, in terms of where we're at. I think there is real consistency in terms of who he who he sort of likes to target and pick up. So let's face it. If you if you're if you're saying then that there's there's a type, there's a Ted Thompson way of doing things, then. All, well, not not all the stuff, but a lot of the stuff you see online is around those sort of big names, if you like the um, and one most of the ones I see. Dalvin Cook's name keeps coming up again and again as being someone that may fall yeah. down the first round for off the field stuff and be at the Packers. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, that reason for him falling would suggest to me that he won't won't be at the Packers for the same reason. Do you think? I mean, Joe yeah, Mixon's so, so. another one that we've seen that will fall down and potentially end up. Now we know that both running backs. Uh, they're both running backs, and running back is a need for the Packers. 
But do you really think that if, if they're falling down for the off-the-field issues, do they really end up at the Green Bay Packers? So, uh, well, I'll back one back to you then. So, do you think that if there was a wide receiver with a first-round grade who was 5'9", 170 pounds, do you think Ted Thompson would draft that guy at 29? Not in the, the first round. Probably no. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think the same goes for the wide receivers, with the, with the running backs, should I say, sorry. But um, Joe Mixon's a wild card, isn't he? So I think that what the unknown there is, you know, how deep does that character concern go? So that's the question with, with Mixon. I think the talent's obviously there. It's just a case of how deep the concern is for character. With, with Cook, I think there's an issue with ball security, but also pass protection. So I think that, you know, the input that Mike McCarthy has in the war room, I think would be um, significant there. And I don't think we'd touch either McCaffrey for lots of different reasons. I think A, he'll be gone. And B, that I think we've already got two running backs sort of a similar ilk in terms of Montgomery and Michael. And with Cook, I'd have concerns about a little bit around character, but also around ball security and, and pass protection. Mm. So I guess, Andy, what we'll do then is, is we, we'll start... Uh, with you know in your article anyway that people can read again on our website you start with quarterback and you say in that forget about it is this something that we forget about or do you think Ted might pull a Hundley trade move or is that still a long way off yet Um, uh, hmm. so personally if you're asking me personally what would I do I think the Hundley trade would be something we should seriously consider because you know I think our time is now when Potentially, there's a there's a window there for for Huntley, not the Aaron Rodgers window, the Huntley window in terms of his trade value. Yeah. I think about go back to the days of um, Ron Wolf. He would draft QBs with the sole intention of nurturing those guys, developing those guys, and then making them a saleable asset. So you know, getting first round and third round picks for the likes of Brunel and Detmer and yeah. people of that ilk. So I, I'd never rule out a quarterback. Um, in a draft if you think there's one there that's worth taking because the position adds such value um, I haven't spent a great deal of time looking at the QB simply because I think we'll go into the season with one, two and three set set fair and um, just a, and I haven't studied them in detail but looking at the quarterback crop for this year I'm not overly enamoured with anyone no one sticks out there's no raw sort of talent further down the board that I've seen that um, that looks tempting enough to sort of really sort of research them in any detail to be honest so for me this year the quarterbacks will be a potentially a fourth quarterback arm from um, the free agency crop but that will be about it yeah i mean i'm even looking at sort of you know sports illustrated top 10 quarterbacks and none of them now again as i said i wouldn't be a massive college football fan but like yourself i listen to probably an inordinate amount all i listen to actually i very rarely listen to music anymore it's all podcasts nfl podcasts draft podcasts um and all the rest and I mean, you know, I feel sorry for any of the teams out there that really need a quarterback that, you know, especially some of the teams that sort of sold out to try get Tony Romo, you know, a la the Houston Texans. And now they're looking at this quarterback class that really is not that deep at all. And, you know, they're talking about Deshaun Kaiser, you know, maybe he might go before anybody else because people like his arm strength, but he's so inconsistent. So certainly I don't think that the, the Packers would be taking too much of a folly um, into the quarterback class because even the ones that are, you know, touted to be the top five in the draft um, they don't look great so I don't think we'd be going for anybody else after that because like you said if the reason to do that is, is tradable value later on I certainly think that it's not there but if if so say if if you're saying then that you know the Hundley is a trade that you would probably potentially look at then are you happy with Callahan then as number three to move to number two? Do you think that, you know, if anything, God forbid, did happen to A-Rod uh, under an O-line that is going to have to change this season, 
Uh, would you be confident with Callan coming in and trying to do a, sort of a patch-up job? Um, well, I think the reality is you lose number 12 and then the, the Super Bowl's not really going to be on the agenda, is it? So whether you've got Huntley or Callaghan, my reason would be that if 12 goes down for any extended period of time, we're not turning up at the big show, are we? So no. whether you've got Huntley in the centre or whether you've got Callaghan in the centre or someone drafted rookie. So it, it really is irrelevant in terms of you know who's number two, in, in my opinion. I don't think Huntley's that good that he'd be able to take us. He's not a Zach Prescott. He's not... He's not that sort of. He hasn't had that exposure to NFL game time either in preseason or in or in lifetime. So I don't think we can say for sure what we've got in Huntley. But while he's, um, you know, if you think about his value at the moment, it's still pretty high, isn't it? So if someone came knocking on my door and says, "We'll give you a number two or a number three, I'd be seriously considering it for this year's draft. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And the thing is, as well, you know, that's going to be out there because there's going to be a team that's desperate. There's going to be a team that doesn't get what they want in the draft, as you both said. QBs aren't great. So it's going to be there. I, d- I don't think it happens this year. Um, but you're right. If it probably doesn't happen this year, at the end of next year, then he's probably just going to stick around, I'm guessing. Yeah, I- I'd go one step further and say the quarterbacks this year compared to last year's draft, where you sort of have probably potentially three or four starters, is, is bang average, <laughs> yeah. to put it yeah. politely. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the quarterback sort of thing locked up. Now, the next fun one that we can get on to, and there's a guy that I want to talk about because he just excites the hell out of me. But if we take a look at sort of, at the end of that article, Andy, we we look down through, you know, the, the sort of list of players that you've, we're looking at here. You're going safeties, linebackers, running backs, center slash guards, um, cornerbacks. There's not one wide receiver on your list. So... We're going to talk about a few guys, but do you think that this is solely... Would this blow your mind if Ted was to go for a wide receiver? Because, like you say in your article, you know, you're very happy with the wide receiver core that we have. And even, you know, looking forward then to the likes of Trevor Davis, Geronimo Allison, that you're happy with those dudes as well, if they were to step in. So I think there's two ways to look at it, isn't there? So the wide receiver core, you can either look at it and think, Jordy Nelson is prime, Randall Cobbett is best. Mm. Uh, Devante Adams is coming on, you know, at, at a rate of knots. Allison flashed real distinct promise last year. Trevor Davison's got speed. We've even got stuff on the practice squad that potentially could come to fruition. So, uh, from that point of view, you, we've got a position of strength. And then there's the other side of the coin. You could say, well, Jordy's going to be 32 next season, and, and he maybe he's on the downside of a of a career. Randall Cobb's potentially hindered by injury has not been the Randall Cobb he was two years ago. Yeah. We're not quite sure with Devante Adams in terms of the contract and we don't know what, whether Allison was a flash in the pan. So there is really two objective ways to look at it. Um, this year's wide receiver crop for me, and I'm a bit like Mr. Thompson in that any time I get a chance to draft a wide receiver who's going to be a game changer, I would take it. So I think his, his favourite round is number two uh, and there's probably two or three guys in round two that potentially I think we could take. Um, my favourite one of my favourite players out of the entire draft, to be fair, is a guy called Chris Godwin from Penn State, um, who will probably be there in round two. Um, and I also think the Packers will be enamoured with a guy called Cooper Cup. That's who I spotted. Another white lightning. <laughs> oh, well, that was my next point. He's a Jordy Nelson clone. So if you watch him in terms of his route running and his catching, how he sort of catches it with his hands and he separates from DBs with savviness as opposed to you know, measurable 40 times and things of that nature. He's the most natural receiver that you'll see in this year's draft by, by yeah. far. And um, he may, they both may be a luxury, but I think them two stand out for me as, as wide receivers in this class. And that, that includes the guys with first round grades as well. I think those two guys in particular, uh, I think Josh Reynolds from Texas A&M is potentially a third round guy who's a bit 
he's a bit taller and a bit more raw than those two guys, but I think also he's got um, potential. After that, I understand the sort of wide receivers is my favourite group to sort of scout and, and sort of review and sort of mull over. Uh, I wouldn't be wasting any more picks. There's a few names that I sort of throw out at the bottom of the list, but actually they would be free agents or seventh round picks in the in the attempt to look for the next Donald Driver or Geronimo Allison, where we sort of, you know, picked out from round seven from Alcorn State or Geronimo, yeah. you know, as an undrafted free agent. So I, I'd expect to go that route, but it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if, if round two, Ted couldn't resist one of those two guys we just talked about. Yeah, I think this is the thing with wideouts, uh, and certainly when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers, it's about loading him up with weapons. So, I, I, I mean, I get the feeling with our needs uh, on the Packers in general is that there's not, and people probably jump on this, I don't feel there's one that really absolutely outweighs any other that means that we must absolutely go for a particular position at any pick. So I guess if there's somebody that just happens to be there that and, and has fallen to us for any reason, then that's when we might take a wide out because you can never have too many weapons, you know? And I think... You're probably right in that there's not a need to take it. But again, if that if if the best player on the board at that time is there and he happens to be a wide out and it's another weapon to give to Aaron Rodgers, then you'd have to think that the Packers would pull the trigger on. Yeah, well, just looking at Cooper Cup, I mean, that dude excites the, the shite out of me. He's broken all types of records in the FCS, but, like, the one criticism that he had was is that he wasn't playing at that elite level. So the people that he was coming up against, the cornerbacks he was coming up against, he was able to torch them. But then, you know, when he started going into the bowl games, people started saying, like, oh, Jesus, this guy can actually play. He is the most prolific pass catcher in the FCS. He's set all-time records and total receptions receiving yards receiving touchdowns you know he's got that caliber in the sense that he's the son of um craig cup who was a former nfl player himself and he's the grandson of uh, new orleans saints hall of famer as well uh, from back in the 60s and 70s he played i think he did like a you know an 11 year career so this guy has the pedigree and like what you were kind of saying Andy, like when he went into the the combine he didn't run a good 40 time people like i you see he's kind of slow but i mean they said the same about randall cobb the same they said the same about jordy nelson i believe in their scouting reports and uh, one of the scouts according to nfl.com has come out and said that uh, this is a scout actually for an AFC team, but it was on NFL.com. He was saying that if, you know, this guy, this is a guy who absolutely torched Marcus Peters and Sidney Jones back in 2014, and both of them were first round talents. So this kid has, you know, and if you look at his cone drill time, it's just out of this world. It was unbelievable. So it goes to show that this guy can stop on a dime and that the problem that we had with the likes of a Jeff Janis who was super fast but couldn't run routes, this guy doesn't have that lateral quickness but what he sort of makes up with the routes and his cuts are just absolutely outstanding and if the if he is on the board and the Packers have the opportunity to pick him up in round two I'd be severely pissed off if they don't get him yeah and I think the other thing to consider is that uh, the sort of war room pays more credence to the cone drill than they do the 40 time yeah and, and also Ted loves the bloodline so he loves football stock doesn't he so if you think about some of the players that we've taken in the past Clay Matthews number one I suppose yeah, exactly. So I think that's a real important, um, you know, thing to consider in terms of that their research that they do and when they sort of, you know, they scout these players, they look at the, where they come from and what, you know, where they, what program they've been to, the background, whether it's wrestling for your offensive linemen and basketball for your DB. You're seeing all that and you're seeing all that sort of come out in in the picks that we make as well. But I think yeah, the, the cone drill is the important one. He's sharp as opposed to 
mm. quick over 60, 70 yards, but how many times do you run 60, 70 yard routes, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, as you said, it's you sort of framed it exactly correctly in my opinion is that you know you can look at the Jordy thing that he's coming into his prime or maybe he's, he's coming back down the hill Adams you know is he coming into his own or again are we going to see that sort of dropsies come into it uh, a player that sort of he reminds me of is Roddy Weiss who just announced his retirement in the sense that it, you know big things were expected of him he was kind of a no name for at least two years people said that he was going to be a massive flop they'd written him off then he had effectively a hall of fame maybe four years and then he kind of fell off into anonymity then after that as he got a bit older and then randall cobb you know again kind of a slot guy so will he continue to be prolific then after he sort of gets over these injuries who knows but it brings us on to the uh, running back and fullback uh position then andy and th- this is an interesting one and uh, myself, yourself, and Ryan, even in the pre-pod, prod, we're kind of talking about the whole, you know, the Joe Mixon thing, and, and whether we even go down that route. And you'd mentioned something about the whole moral high ground. Can you explain that to us? I mean, would the Joe Mixon pick to you be an okay pick for us to get? Would you accept him on the team? Do you think the Packers have that moral high ground anymore? It's it's tricky, isn't it? So I guess everyone's seen the footage. <clears throat> everyone's um, will have formed an opinion. Um, at the end of the day, the Packers are the one that's had Nixon in for a visit. They've spoken to him. They'll have made their own mind up around his character, around a sense of whether he's developed and sort of matured as an individual, not only as an individual, but as a player. Mm. Um, he's first round graded talent for me. The, the tape's there for all to see. He's, a, you know, he's, a, he's electric on the field. Um, I don't think we're in a position. He's he's done something that he obviously regrets, or well, hopefully he regrets, and... Um, you know, we've, if you look at the Packer roster over the last sort of two or three years, it's it's sort of dotted with players that have had character issues. Even the coaching staff, we've got some issues in amongst that of of being issues over the last sort of twelve months. So, yeah, I don't think we're in any position to sort of you know take the high ground on this one. I think it basically comes down to whether they think he's a, a high character guy, will he fit in the locker room because his his talent on the pitch is you know clearly first rounding grade talent. Do you think we've come away, maybe as Packers fans, we see ourselves as being squeaky clean and maybe actually the reality is we, we're just not? Is it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, you, can, you can argue it all you want, but the facts are the facts, aren't they? So, yeah. Yeah, there's not an off-season that goes by. You can get two weeks into an off-season before something comes up, do we? It's been the last three or four years, whether it's Shields or Guyon or Dorian or, you know, the, you know, the coaching staff that we had the issues with last year. So there's... There always seems to be something out there, the qualities of this world, and there's, there's lots and lots of incidents or names you could reel off and, and, and draw parallels, isn't there? So, yeah, is it a sign of you know the, the the way we are today? I think other teams have similar issues, but we're no whiter than white than the 31 other NFL teams in my, in my eyes. Sure, and I think the thing is, is that yeah, and as we've said before, Joe Mixon is a footballing talent. I mean, Sports Illustrated have him rated as the fourth best, I think, in the in the draft. Uh, only behind Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey. So he's a talent. I think the problem is we're bringing him to any team, not just the Packers. Is Most NFL ball clubs now are involved in all these initiatives, um, all, the, all these uh, advertising in games and, and, and on, you know, the sort of telecasts at the games themselves, where they're saying that, you know, domestic violence is, is not acceptable and, you know, all, all this stuff. And then you bring a player like that to your ball club. How can you then continue to try and send that message to your fans? And I think 
this is the problem. And does it rub any sponsors or anybody, you know, those sort of people that really affect your financials at your club, does it rub them up the wrong way? Or is it one of these where everyone's going to go, oh, I can look the other way because he's on my team. And I think that's that's the hardest thing with him. No one's denying that he's, you know, not a talent, um, you know, but to, to bring him to your ball club's a big move. And it's a, it's a move that could anger or upset a lot of people. Yeah, true that. And as well as that, you know, if you look at this running back class as well, there's like he fell right down almost at the very bottom and then when more teams started to bring him in for visits then he started to kind of shoot up the board again you know people's memories are are pretty fickle when it comes to this type of stuff I mean you know you look at the likes of Ray Rice Adrian Peterson as well you know with that whole child abuse and you know I I think he was done for us I don't think it's an allegation I think he just said yeah I beat him with a switch didn't know what a switch was until I realized it was a stick um, but if we sort of focus then on the running backs that are available, Joe Mixon is certainly one, you know, which would be seen as a top talent that we could get because of his history issues. Um, it, it's really surprising to me to see someone like uh, Leonard Fournette, who's at number two. There was all this stuff about that he should sit out uh, for a year to try get healthy to make sure that he doesn't get injured. Then he did get injured. But again, looking at him at the combine to see him bobble the ball, I mean, it looked like he, he just can't catch it, you know, and there was sort of questions around the fact that if you get him, people are going to know that you're going to be running the ball because when you bring him on, Sam Monson actually from Pro Football Focus had a great phrase for this guy, and I think it was Adrian Peterson as well, that he's a one and a half down back in a three down back league, you know, the fact that you can only use him for so much because they, they typically can't block, they can't catch out of the backfield and Fournette usually only catches those bubble screens you know like that he you can't line him up as a wide receiver which is they're looking for that kind of hybrid back now where you can sort of line him up as a wide receiver if you need him try to get some different looks but if we look at a guy that people are getting absolutely dreamy over it's Christian McCaffrey but now we hear Andy that he could potentially go in the top 10 do you think this guy's a top 10 talent and do you think that even if he wasn't and he was there for the Packers should they take a guy like this or is he too similar to the backs that we have at the moment I think he's a top 20 talent. Yeah. Um, I think he comes with some rough edges. Um, if he was still sat there um, when the Packers came to pick, I still wouldn't pick him, though. And the same goes for um, Dalvin Cook. So for similar reasons, two similar sort of backs in, in, in many ways, but with, with rough edges. Like McCaffrey is a, um, a similar version to Montgomery. Um, we've got Christy Michael, who's obviously a smaller back and a sort of um, speedier back. So we're not really looking for that sort of third down back, you know, out of the backfield receiving type of sort of, of uh, running back. I think we need uh, either a feature back, which is where Mixon, I think, is an option. Um, I also think there's a guy called Marlon Mack that's from um, South Florida. Yeah. I think he's potentially a sort of um, a more skilled runner. And then after that, I'm really looking at a back that would complement our backs, so the likes of Michael and Montgomery. When you look at the likes of Brian Hill, the guy from Wyoming, it potentially be sat there in rounds three or four. Uh, Wayne Galman. Um, there's a guy called Jamar Williams from BYU. who could potentially be there sort of day three still. You know, maybe round five. Um, there's a guy called Don Freeman. who's another pounder. So again, I think you, when you're looking at, you know, the winter months in Wisconsin, do you want a, a slippery back who's going to sort of dance around and get you, you, know, you think about the two backs that they've got in Atlanta right now, Tevin Coleman and, um, and Freeman. But, you know, on that aftertaft, they're tough to stop because yeah. they change direction so quickly. They are, they have cuts and moves and moves on moves. But you know, when you're playing sort of three or four games in December in Wisconsin, it's a different kind of back that you need, and you need to sort of take a bit of punishment and, and dish a bit of punishment out as well. So that's why I've sort of focused my 
looks really on the sort of bigger backs and that's why I think that McCaffrey and Cook would probably be a square peg in a round hole for the Packers mm. Yeah I'll tell you what somebody that I like uh, probably a bit further down the board is um, James Connor out of Pitt just looks the part to me just looks like somebody that could uh, pound the ball has got good size about him no, He's a really good story isn't he? he's overcome a lot of um, health issues over his career yeah. and, and I looked at and so it would be a real sort of good news story wouldn't it but um, yeah yeah, I think he's probably sort of he's quite upright in his ring style, so that always concerns me. I mean, like Starks was was probably similar. So if I'm thinking about Connor's probably a little bit um, bigger built and a bit more muscular, but I think in terms of ring style, James Starks would be when he first came out would be um, James Connor for me. Mm, Big dude, like 233 pounds, six foot one, so a nice big back, and I think that's what the Packers need. I mean, especially with the small. Uh, backs that we have in Montgomery and and Michaels but um, I tell you what let's move on to the tight end group now again this is something you kind of have in your article that's kind of like the, the quarterback grouping you know uh, the wide receiver grouping probably more more closely the fact that we have a rich uh, talent group in the wide receivers and the same with the tight end especially with the moves that we made in free agency were you surprised Andy by the moves that we made in free agency and are you sort of seeing that you know we don't need to delve into the draft for a tight end there's more pressing needs yeah, I think more pressing needs would be the caveat, wasn't it? So I think um, very pleasantly surprised at the moves we made in, in free agency. Um, I, I love what Jared Cook did last year. I think he um, he brought a spark and an excitement to the offense that we haven't had from a tight end position for a number of years since sort of Jermichael Finley was in town. Yeah. Um, but I think Martellus Bennett is the, is the next level up because you you know he's a very able blocker. He can do a lot of different things. He's a you know, he's a real red red zone threat throughout his career, and I think um, you know, watching sort of Kendricks throughout his career, both in Wisconsin and the, with the Rams, I've always been impressed with how fluid he is as an athlete. He always strikes yeah. me as he's doing everything very easily. He's very fluid off the line of scrimmage. He runs smooth routes, and I know there's been some sort of contention around his hands and how inconsistent that is. But if I'm sure if I was playing for the uh, the Rams as well. My hands would be inconsistent because probably they probably get a little bit cold waiting for an accurate throw. You know, so yeah, think, that's yeah. it's so true as well because like when we signed him, there was so much on on Twitter. Oh, this guy's not very good, and and so on and so on. And it's look at the team he was playing for. Look at the quarterback throwing him the ball. Yes, he probably had some drops, but everybody has drops. You know, Jerry Rice had drops. Uh, you know, big uh, Gonzalez had drops at tight end. You know, everybody has drops. But the problem was he didn't get enough good quality throws to really do anything with. Go yeah. back to his Wisconsin days, as you said, where I was lucky enough to see him play um, a little bit there. And he's a good tight end. And what does yeah. Aaron Rodgers do to people that are average and good? He makes them generally the next grade up. So average becomes good, good becomes great. So I, I would I would expect big things from him this year. And I think if you're Richard Rogers, you've got to be sat there going, you know, what what more do I have to do? I catch balls on Hail Marys, I win games, and you keep bringing in big guys in front of me. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I, I I don't think there's any need to even look at tight end in the draft. Um, they, yeah. They'll just completely skip on that one altogether. Yeah, if you put on some game tape of um, Kendricks against the Packers, uh, Lambo last year, the year before, I think it was, uh, and you watch it and isolate him. The, the guy's wider open for 90% of the game the guy is just <laughs> wide open now it's more in, indicative of our, our secondary play probably but the guy is he's in acres of space it's just his QB can't 
you know, go through his progression. He probably doesn't see him, but it's um, it's quite striking how sort of smooth he is in his roots and how smooth he is in terms of his cuts and things of that nature. So yeah. the exciting times, when you think about, go back to sort of Jackson Shamira days and some of the creative things Holmgren used to do with that offense. It's um, I'm hoping that McCarthy can do similar with um, with Bennett and Kendricks. Yeah, it, nice. uh, isn't it funny as well? I mean, when Jared Cook was coming in, Ryan, they're basically copy-paste and the criticism that they had for Cook, right? Remember when he yeah, came in, they were sure. like, oh, Cook, no way, he's terrible, bad hands. You know, yeah, he's fast, but, you know, he can't catch. End of the year, fast forward. Oh, they better p- keep Cook. He's unbelievable. Yeah. I can't believe they let him go. Same, and then Kendricks comes people, in. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's like, oh, Kendricks, he can't catch. So give it a year. Let's give it a year and see what happens. But uh, it's absolutely frightening, the fact those two tight end sets... Uh, with Bennett and Kendricks, I mean, Jesus, if one of them doesn't get open the next will. The, the, the biggest impact that Jared Cook had uh, throughout the season was the fact that he was able to uh, pull coverage towards him. You know, like it, the, the amount of people that he used to drag down the field with him, even when he wasn't even on, you know, a play, was just incredible. And that's the thing is that when you have two tight ends, I just think it'll be absolute meltdown. And our best defense this year is certainly going to be our offense. But to stay on to stay on that offense then, let's move along to the offensive line. This is going to be I'll an. I'll in- jump in here. I'll yeah. jump in here. So I, I, I got it because this for me, I want to make my prediction now. This, it's it's where we're going to get our first round pick. I think we go Forest Lamp with this pick, and that'll be round one pick. And now, and now you guys get to tell me how completely wrong I am. <laughs> Andy, <laughs> uh, I, I will. Uh, who is the last offensive guard the Packers took in round one? Ah, oh, I love it. I love it when I get surprised with an impossible question. I have no idea. <laughs> so I may be wrong on this, but I, I tried to sort of rack my brains, um, and, and I'm thinking Ron Halstrom back in '85 was that? Jeez. That's a name that sort of spent. That's a good mind. year. That I was born that year. That's a good year. Yeah, '85. Ron Halstrom was that. That may be completely inaccurate, but that seems to me. I, I couldn't think of any other guards that we've taken in round one. So for that reason and that reason alone. I'm thinking that Forrest Lamb won't end up in a Green Bay uniform. I would like him to because I think he's a Luba player. I think he's a, probably the best interior lineman in the draft by by quite a distance. But I just the thing just is, that, though, I, what, do, what I like do about him, that much value to guard. Yeah. I, well, this this for me is how much is how much value do you do you put on keeping your quarterback upright, and how much value do you yeah. put on your quarterback not being injured? And as you said earlier, Andy, and quite rightly. If Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, ends up out of the team uh, for an extended period, then essentially, you know, you're just hoping your best to get to the playoffs. But you, you really are just switching off the season at that point. So, yeah, you, your biggest investment goes into your quarterback. He's the face of your team and he's what drives it. And with Aaron Rodgers at times, he's the guy that carries it. So at some point you have to protect him. And, and why Forrest Lamp? I mean, there's a lot of people out there saying Forrest Lamp will be a guy that, that could be a potential um, and one of the best um, offensive linemen in the draft. But for me, it's as well the, the fact that people are saying, you know, if you can teach this guy to snap as well, he could genuinely play at every position up and down the line. And that sounds very much to me like a Packers type player. Yeah, it's kind of like what you were no, saying, Andy, as well, isn't it? Yeah, is that he's one of these sort of utility players that he can sort of shift them up and down the line. But uh, looking at some of the drafts that certainly are online, uh, some of these lads say that he's not going to make it past definitely maybe between 
the 22nd and 25th pick they say that he's going to probably go to Miami and again all of the analysis says the exact same they're going to put him anywhere on the offensive line and that you know he's the safest player uh, on the offensive line in the actual entire draft so again Andy like I mean if he is available and he doesn't go is this a guy who's too good to pass up for the Packers? Yeah, I believe Ryan makes a really good point. I think in terms of the protection of Aaron Rodgers, um, and particularly in the in the division that we play in, that's got a lot of interior defensive linemen who were who are very good at pressuring the quarterback. I think that it's probably more important for us than it is for the teams that position. So um, I, I think he's a he's a solid pick. I think he's he's got no obvious reasons why you wouldn't take him. So I'd be more than happy for us to if he's still there to to snap him up. And I think it makes our offensive line. When you look at that on paper, then in terms of you know the starting five, and then you've got Spriggs as your swing tackle, and some you know some young guys coming through. And the other thing to think about is you haven't got John Barkley in the starting lineup. So anytime we haven't got Barkley in the starting lineup, it's a positive <laughs> for me. And come here, then if we if he isn't available, who's the next players that are on your radar at this position that you think the Packers should go for? And in or around what round do you think that'll happen? So I think there's a couple of guys. Um, two in particular I really like because I guess that they are the um, the multi-skilled guys that can play more than one position. So the guy from Ohio State, uh, Pat Elfline, who's, who's centre-stroke guard, I think he's um, potentially going to be there in round two. Um, the guy from um, LSU, Ethan Koshik, who's, who's not a stock, he's rising by the week. So mm. I think three or four weeks ago I had him in sort of round five, six and you know, the more and more people talk about him and see his versatility, I think he's up to sort of round sort of three now, I think. So potentially we may have to reach to get him. Um, there's a guy from Indiana, Dan Feeney, who's a, who's a good solid player. And we've, I think we like this sort of Big Ten Midwest kind of guys who sort of fit the Ted Thompson mold, I guess. Uh, and then sort of uh, a couple of guys from from smaller schools. So um, Taylor Moulton from Western Michigan, who could be there sort of round three. Um, I, I, Less a less perfect fit for the Packers, but still a good talent. And there's a guy further down the draft that I really like. He's a guy called uh, Francis Wright, Avian Collins, who's at TCU. Hmm. And then, if anyone remembers the sort of '96 Packers, was a guy called Aaron Taylor, who used to sort of scrap in the trenches and was a real sort of um, uh, vocal leader of the offense. And he reminds me of him. Very aggressive, um, can play sort of multitude of positions on the interior line. A good athlete. He's around 300 pounds, six or five. And he's been a bit more raw um, in terms of his sort of um, mechanics right now, but I think he would be a good investment further down on day three. Yeah, and certainly I like your pick in uh, Pat Elfline. Um, he's seen as one of these players. I've seen him compared to Nick Mangold of the Jets to say that you know he's a big. What, what is he? Six foot four, three hundred and seven pounds. Um, they said that he has that sort of blend of athleticism that he's got unbelievable power, but sort of. It's something that I feel that the Packers are going after is that he, they say he has this nastiness and that's something that I think that they're trying to sort of inject into the team. It looks to me like the Packers are making a shift in the locker room to try to get more players with a, a bit more spikes, a bit more edge. And they said that Elfline certainly has that sort of nastiness. Is that something that you'd want on the team, Andy? Some type of, you know, edge that you know, might cause a bit of friction in the locker room, but ultimately it's for the better and that you want people that are going to be real smash mouth and some real leaders in the locker room? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, but I also think if you go back and look at the the offensive linemen that he's drafted in the past, they all, if you read their bios, they all have an element of that. So whether it's T.J. Lang, Josh Sitton, Brian Balaga, um, if you go back as far as even Scotty Wells, people of that nature, they all had a certain edge to them. And I think that he likes that type of character. It was a bit a bit scrappy, you know. You know, 
maybe he's not the most physically gifted, but they make up for it in, in sort of, you know, their technical ability, but also their demeanour, so that, that element of nastiness. And I think, you, think you're right. I think we have been guilty of being a little bit too nice at times. And um, I think there'll be a, a bit of a shift towards um, a bit more edginess in terms of character this year, absolutely. Hence why I'm a bit like you. I think Pat Elfline would be a really good choice. Yeah. But I also think the guy Potchich potentially got that edge to him as well, and so is Feeney. And they all fit sort of bill in terms of um, LSU, a little bit different, but it's a university that that we're used to dealing with, but also the sort of Midwest colleges, we tend to sort of really focus it on them. And Pat Elfline and, and, and Dan Feeney fit that bill, don't they? Right, OK. Well, look, guys, we've done offence now, and offence is where... The highlights are done and so on. You know, that's the flashy bit. But let's get to my true love now, which is the defense. The guys that destroy stuff for a living. The guys that get to beat people up. The guys that get to smash other guys around and do it all legally and not get arrested at the end of it. This is where football is truly exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sort of a flashy guy. Look, I'm a small dude, Ryan. All right. You know what I mean? I I sort of gravitate towards the special team punt returners. Uh, Randall Cobb has a special place in my heart. I sort of lean towards the offense. So I might let you boys loose on this. Let's talk D-line. They're saying that, you know, in this draft, Andy, there's plenty of talent there on D-line. Can you walk us through, you know, is is this a place that you think the Packers are really going to focus on? Or are we solely just sort of cornerback and inside linebacker heavy in this draft? So there's a lot of talent on D-line. Whether it's still sat there when we come to draft is a, is a different conversation. And, and there lies the problem, really, that by the time we come to, to make our selection in round one, and if we trade out around one in round two, I think most of the mainstay talent along the D-line will be will be long gone. Yeah. So you're left with guys that potentially are sort of being bandied about, you know, the sort of hybrid D-line, outside linebacker types like Derek Barnett from Tennessee or the guy from uh, McKinley from UCLA, you know, a university that we've, we've sort of pillaged before. And then you're left with the five technique guys that are probably going to be sort of rounds two and three. So the likes of Chris Wormley from Michigan and the guy from Michigan State, um, Malik McDowell. So I personally would like to see one of those five technique guys. So I think that we've got Dean Lowry who sort of come on a little bit last year and it'd be interesting to see if he makes a jump from year one to two. Mm. But for me, a real true five technique guy who can give us a little bit of length on the on the defensive line would be where I would go. I'm not overly enamored with either McKinley or Barnett enough to want to sort of spend a first round or early second round. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Like you said, the big talent's sort of up early, isn't it? And then it and then it doesn't die off but um you know i guess it depends what's sitting there when we get to our picks but i suppose as well there's probably bigger needs on on defense as well would you say yeah absolutely and i think there's enough um potential further down the draft board there's quite a few guys there's a guy called um jaleel johnson from um iowa and we've had relative success with dts from Iowa in the past, so he's a little bit undersized. I've heard that before. Yeah. Quite a nasty guy. H- heard that before. So <laughs> maybe we'll go to the maybe we'll go to the well one more time with that one. Um, there's a guy called Jouston Thomas and another guy called Terrell Basham. That's um, <laughs> I like to look up to. Yeah, exactly. Great name. So there's enough talent at the bottom of the draft board, unlike some other areas. I think potentially um, we could around round six and seven and, and have a look at some of the guys down the bottom there and sort of look for depth as opposed to you know trying to get a starter from yeah. day one and I think you're right as well with the hybrid position I mean it's definitely something the Packers have done before haven't they and and, and as you said there's a number of players there that, that can do the D-end and outside linebacker thing and who knows what's going to happen with Clay this year maybe he goes into inside and you know we don't know what the plans are there so 
if he goes inside, then maybe the need becomes outside. So getting the guys that can play two yeah. or three positions is always helpful, especially on a Packers team that constantly seems to be injured. Yeah, listen to Clay Matthews on um, Packers.com today. I think it's pretty clear that he's going to be moved around a lot. I don't think the days of Clay just flying up an outside linebacker are, are sort of long gone out there. So I think he's going to be more of a roving linebacker as opposed to sort of sending on, on one end and, and sort of rushing from the edge. Yeah, and certainly as well, I sort of see last year as he kind of shocked me. If you look at the pro football focus stats for Clay, he's completely dropped off. He certainly doesn't sort of... He shouldn't be commanding the money that he does in the contract. He's certainly not playing to it. So I think that the, he needs to do something. I think he recognises himself. As much as we love the hair and we love the legacy and, you know, the pedigree in his family, I think it's going to come down to the fact that he needs to, you know, really play for that money now. Um, or I feel that he's one, going to be one of the players that, again, some of the sort of more casual fans might be surprised to see him leave when his contract is up. But certainly uh, I wouldn't be. I'd see that it's definitely somewhere that we could get some... Um, get some cap space so yeah. let, let's let's talk inside linebacker then because you say in your article and i'm gonna read it out dear ted i like this please use an early round pick on an athletic playmaker at ilb who is able to stay on the field for three downs regards andy so do you think he's going to read that uh, little pleading letter andy or do you think this is going to be a same old story with him uh, uh, do you know what every inch of me wants him to just sort of Go along with it just for one year, and we'd be we absolutely fine. I think the, the only scenario I see that 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 wish is going to come true is if we trade out around one. So I think it's it's ripe for a trade down. So you probably pick up a round two pick and, and a round three pack, a round three pick from um, from the number twenty nine position. And I think that's the only way we're going to get that that sort of inside linebacker as part of a early in round two pick. If that makes any sense. So if I look at the guys that I. The the guy I really like is Jared Davis from Florida. Yeah, I think he's I think he's got everything. He's a uh, I think when they drafted Ray Lewis, didn't we draft this sort of pick after? I'm sure that that rings a bell sort of back in yeah. the Ray Lewis day. And, and this is a sort of similar sort of grade in terms of where he is in the draft. So I think he'd be a late first round pick, potentially early second round pick. And I would I would love for us to go after Jared Davis. I think he'd be the athlete that we miss. So we don't need to bring Joe Thomas on the third downs and the two pedestrian guys that we've got. I think we need somebody next to either one of those to sort of really elevate the defense to a next level and, and not consistently help a scheme to sort of cover up that deficiency, if that makes any sense. So I think part yeah. of the problem is we scheme to cover up our, our lack of athletes at middle linebackers. I mean, you think about the coverage and the, the way we play coverage, I think it's a, we just don't man up effectively, particularly on hard services when we go into into the domes. I think we it sticks out like a sore thumb. We are really deficient in terms of athletes. So, you know, that that's the reason why if we if we are moving play inside a little bit more, all of a sudden we look far more adept to A rushing the passer and B sort of being more effective with scheme, I think. So that's the reason for the play and hopefully he, he, he listens up. Because I, yeah. I think that Ryan and and uh, our, our guy from last year, um, I think that they're okay, but they're not game changers. And that's yeah. what I'm looking at. So in terms of, yeah. you know, we think about the best defenses always have that, that game changer. And we're certainly not at that level at the moment. So hence the desire to upgrade, I guess. Look, one one of my one of my favourite and I know this won't be popular, but one of my favourite Packers is uh, AJ Hawkey re-signed today. You know, there's a chance he could slot back in there. Um, <laughs> no, obviously, seriously, I know that he was there just to retire as a Packer, which was a nice touch. But look, I've got another romantic one here, and I think 
We'll get onto a Wisconsin linebacker probably on the next position uh, breakdown. But look, what about this guy late in the rounds, Vince Beagle out of Wisconsin? Just just make me happy and say that you know we might look at that guy because I love him. So I think what it boils down to is when they they rocked up at the Wisconsin Pro Day is how did this Vince guy do? I think that's what it boils down to because I think mm-hmm. they were seen having a bit of a chinwag, weren't they? So that's as yeah. far as I my knowledge goes, I'm afraid. So I think I certainly wouldn't rule him out. But if, if Vince Beagle is the only linebacker we come away from the 2017 draft with, um, I'm going to be pretty missed, if I'm honest. So <laughs> yeah. a, comp- a, com- yeah. a complimentary pick, yes, further down in, in day three, absolutely, why not? I think there's enough there to, to warrant having a look. But um, for me to change our defence and to suddenly become a top 10 D, I think the linebacker position needs to be upgraded, both from the outside and the inside. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I just think, you know, the guy's got great hair and, you know, as as a guy that's also got great hair, I, I can recognise that talent. And look at, I mean, he's he's never going to give the entertainment value as his father, Jeremy. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, they're probably going to go from in the end. Good old Jeremy Beagle, rest Jeremy in peace. Beagle. So uh, I think if we, if we move on then to uh, outside linebackers, um, so as we said, you know, Clay Matthews is going to be doing a bit of a Rome action and let's see whether they play him outside or they're going to move him back inside again. And then you're saying that, you know, if you look at the likes of um, Elliot and Farkrell, you know, will, will they end up coming on uh, in 2017? Do you think we have what we need in Elliot and, and Farkrell? Do you think we should sort of focus on developing them or is there some, you know, top talent there? Because um, we all know that there's one guy who's absolutely uh, wetting people's appetite at this position in the draft. And, you know, do you think it's, we, do, we, could we land them? Could we not land them? Is, is, are we getting too excited in Pack Nation? <laughs> so there's, some, there's, there's lots of names floating about in that sort of inside linebacker, outside linebacker mall. So there's a guy uh, that we didn't talk about on the inside linebacker, Zach Cunningham from Vanderbilt. I think he's a, an exceptional athlete. And then you're going to go on to the, the name that everyone's, talking about in Wisconsin is TJ Watt. I'm going to have alarm bells going off just when you say that. Does alarm bells going to kick off on the L podcast? Jesus Christ, we just said it. Yeah, it's a bit like, it's one of those buzzwords for the FBI. So when you mention (laughs) Watt, it it flags up, doesn't it? And they they look at you and and they chase all your calls. The question for me is that he's a great player and I think he's had a a fantastic college career. There's two concerns for me is that the first thing is that he's had two knee ops yeah. So he's not coming, you know, that is always a concern for me when anyone's coming out of the college and they've already had two surgeries. That's always a watch out for anyone investing in a high rack pick. And the other thing is, and it's probably not a popular thing, but if his name wasn't what, would he be a top yeah. 80 talent or would he be actually, would he be a top 80 talent? Because when you look at, yes, he was exceptional at the combine and he tested really well. But when you put on the game tape, is he better than... I'll throw some names out there. Was he, did he perform better than Charles Harris? Did he perform better than Carl Lawson at Auburn? So there's all parallels in terms of performance. And, you know, that's the question that you, you throw out there for me. I, I personally yeah. like Charles Harris from Missouri. I think he's an exceptional athlete. And I think he's got huge upside. So when you're looking at TJ Watt, I think he has got upside as well. But I'd be just as happy with Charles Harris either in the end of round one or the start of round two, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people as well that are looking at TJ Watt as, a, as our round one pick. There's a, there's loads of mock drafts out there that have it. And I think you're right. There's there's one, there's the romance in it because it's a Wisconsin guy. There's the the, the Watt name, as you've said. Um, but I think I said a while back, I think the problem is as a round one player, it's it's a reach. 
um, for probably the talent. And it sounds really harsh. I don't want to be because I love the guy as a player. Um, but then he's not going to be there by our second round pick is my feeling. So I just yeah. think it just doesn't fit right for where we're picking in the draft. And, that, and that's probably the reason why he doesn't end up with Green Bay. Yeah, I 100% agree, Ryan. I think that's why I looked at the trade down scenario. So if we're thinking about, you know, we go back to the very start and think about how Ted thinks. He'd love a wide receiver in round two. And I think he'd also like to pick TJ Watt. And I think the only way that that's going to happen is if we trade out of round one yeah. and potentially end up with two picks in round two and two picks in round three. Because I think yeah. we do some um, pretty creative stuff with those picks as opposed to where we are in round one and where we are in round two. There's, there's I think the limited opportunity there to get TJ Watt at that point there. I think it would be yeah. a reach. That reminds me of the first draft I ever stayed up all night to watch. And uh, on, on that first night, I think we were picking right towards the end of the draft and uh, stayed up all night and it got to it and it said the Packers had traded and I had stayed up all night to about four or five in the morning watching it. And then we didn't even yeah. pick a player. <laughs> so that's that, probably bound to yeah. happen if I stay up and watch it. So... But come here, we, we talk yeah. a lot about um, Strum for Shum. We say some pretty weird sexual stuff on the podcast, but it's at this point I think I have to blush and hide my massive woody because we're going to get on to cornerbacks. This is, and the buzzword that we've heard from everybody, Andy, is is that this draft is absolutely cornerback heavy and that you can actually go uh, you know, 20 cornerbacks deep and still get some superb talent. What I want to know from you is, is one, is that true? And second off, do we go with our first you know pick in the draft do we go cornerback do we go all out and if we do that do we get somebody who could be a shutdown corner are all of these rumors true so firstly what a load of absolute conkers this cornerback class is has had so much hot air blown up it's untrue <laughs> <laughs> say what you mean no yeah this this cornerback class it, it's more a reflection of the poor qb player that you're seeing in the draft class for the qbs as opposed to the the outstanding play of the cornerbacks. So do I think there's a Charles Woodson out there? No. Do I think there's a Richard Sherman from the last sort of three or four years out there? No. Is there any ready-made sort of no edges, all singing, all dancing cornerback in this draft with a grade of over seven points? No. So it's not an elite class in any shape or form. I just don't get it. I think there's some potential. I think there's some solid players. I think there's some guys that could fit with what we're trying to do or, or we've been trying to do over the last sort of couple of years. But I don't think there's any, you know, ready-made NFL quality starters that you've seen over the last sort of four or five years come out in the draft. So I differ hugely from the consensus of opinion and maybe that'll be proved to be a bit of a fool, but I don't, I just don't see it. And fortunately, the better ones, like of your Sidney Jones and your, your Fabian Maru, I think they've suffered injuries. So as a result, their stocks dropped and so... It, for me, it takes the class down even further as well. So I'm probably a little bit different to to most guys in terms of my appraisal of the cornerbacks. Cool, that's that's pretty bad foreplay, Ryan, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't skirt around the issue. I had a raging horn, and the Barry White was on. The candles were lit. The lights were low, and now it's Look, it's all gone. It's gone. I, so if you had to fall in love with the cornerback, who would it be? So the only guy that I had a first round grade on, and I was. I'd be happy, and he's not going to fall to the Packers. Was Conley from Ohio State? I think he's a, you know, yeah. I think him and his partner from, you know, Latimer. I think are both probably the two most solid cornerbacks in the draft. And then after that, I think there's quite a drop between the the, the next guys. But you look down the likes of Kevin King. I think he's a he's, he's rangy, but he's you know in space. I think he struggles. I think a uh, Jackson's five ten. So again, he's electric, but is he you know is five ten corner going to land in Green Bay? Maybe he's not. 
Judavius White reminds me a little bit of um, Demarius Randall in terms of he's he's got coverage ability, but it seems a little bit soft at times. Yeah. Um, you could go on and on and all the way down the list. The guy, Awuzie, is it from Colorado? He looks really raw to me, so I think he's uh, um, you know potential there. Yeah. So you can go all the way down. Quincy Wilson, I'm not a fan of. Uh, Tankersley, again, I, I didn't see a lot in there. I like Maru out of all of them, the guy from UCLA, but unfortunately, Tori's pectoral muscle didn't hit the combine, so he was being sort so of... So there's a chance um, there that you can get that guy further down then, where, where it's maybe yeah, not well, so much of a... Yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're the two guys. I think the other interesting one for me was the guy, um, Marlon Humphrey from Alabama. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's, there's varying degrees of sort of um, projections in terms of where he's going to land in the draft. But um, if he sat there at number one, I'd be really pleased if, if he landed in Green Bay. Yeah, I think this is the thing with the cornerbacks. When you go through uh, the mock drafts, and, and again, sort of you, you put as much as you want to into those or as little as you want to. Um, but the mock drafts seem to have the cornerbacks just all over the shop. Um, yeah. Sort of bar, bar one or two, you know, that, that are probably the guaranteed first rounders. And then the rest is pretty much just a, a scatter and see where they fall. Um, so it would be interesting. It would be one of those, again, I think he'll come to uh, best player available if there's one there and he, he fits right at that point because he's the best player on the board, then we probably take one. Um, yeah. some, of, some of them excite me now some, some, by height Andy though I'm looking at them because I know you said the quintessential sort of Ted Thompson cornerback he's going to go tall now you, you sort of you, meant, you touched on Kevin King 6 foot 3 also Jalen Tabor 6 foot 4 they excite me just for the fact that I think that we get beaten sometimes on height alone our cornerbacks seem sort of too small and too frail to stand up to some of these you know certainly the the top wide receivers now I know we put the number on Odell Beckham but again I just think that was whatever happened there that performance was divine but I think that if we went big I really like the look of Tabor um, and King just just with the height that they have just I don't know just the height alone really excites me you know and they're seen as kind of middling you know out of a one between one to 15 these guys are falling sixth and seventh on the list so I think there's some value there who knew that Steve liked a big man eh <laughs> yeah I'll well, stop so I think that the, quick, the sort of point I would make is when I talk about a Ted type so if you look at the height on the depth chart of the Packers uh, defensive backfield so include it with Mike Hyde in it six foot Burnett six one Dick six one Randall five eleven Rollins five eleven they all fit within a sort of small you know, 5'11 to 6'1", 6'2", sort of catchment area. So when I look at cornerbacks, I rule out anybody less than 5'11", and, and I typically don't overanalyze guys that are 6'3 and above because he seems to have a sort of window that he wants in terms of height. Uh, you can throw some names out there, but I think Gunter's probably the tallest, is he, at 6'2"? Yeah. Uh, if, if he's even 6'2", after that, we haven't got a lot of, you know, we don't really go for that, that tall guy. I think it was a um, I'm just trying to think of anybody that fits, sort of outstrips that mold, but I, I can't think of anybody. So the, the guys for me would be Humphrey, um, Tredavious White at 5'11". I think there's a guy, Russell uh, Douglas, who's 6'2 from West Virginia. Um, and then the, the Maroon West guy from Virginia. UCLA six foot. <laughs> uh, would all be, would be my top four, I guess, in terms of who I think will drop in the draft and where we're picking. And those would be the guys to look out for for, for Packer fans, I think. Yeah, and so let's move on to safety now because, you know, people will see that we're locked and loaded at safety, that, you know, the way our safeties play off each other, I think being that tandem, I know certainly two years ago they were in the top eight, there was something similar again, uh, just that year gone. 
do you reckon safety again is a place that we take high because again you use a scenario here in your article Andy where you say that if we do trade out of the, trade out of the first round that we take a safety with our second pick in the second is that the only way that we take a safety that high because we see if, uh, Marcus May here on, in the fourth round if we don't trade out of the first uh, would you still subscribe to that sort of opinion? Yeah so there was just before you so there's two cornerbacks that were that you'll probably see down the bottom of day three. There's a guy called uh, Howard Wilson who plays at the University of Houston and a guy mm. called Nate Hairston at, at Temple. They're, they're two names to look out for. One's six foot, one's 5'11", so they fall under the bracket. And, yeah, talented guys. So you watch their tape and uh, tell me how different they are to some of the guys that are great for round one. So I think it's typically difficult to do the later rounds, but those are two guys that I really like to look up. In terms of the safeties, I have um, the same sort of excitement you were getting there towards the cornerbacks. I have towards the safeties around sort of the round two, round three marks. So there's probably two or three guys there that I think have got what we need. So are we are we happy going into the season with you know Dix and Burnett as you know safeties, and then there's quite a lack of depth behind. I don't know what you guys think, but I think we're, we're pretty thin there. So yeah. I think you know, Micah High is going to yeah, be agreed. be replaced. Um, uh, and there's, there's two or three guys. I mean, we haven't talked about Gabriel Peppers from Michigan. That he, he sort of divides opinion. There's Josh Jones from North Carolina. There's Marcus May talked about probably later in round three or four. But then there's a couple of guys, Marcus Williams from Utah uh, and a guy called Justin Evans from Texas A&M or I particularly like. Um, either of those two I'd be really keen to get on board. Um, John Johnson at Boston. There's Des King at Iowa. So there's all sorts of options all sorts of hybrid guys with coverage skills and size and, and speed that I think would fit our defense. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I've got one here, one safety and I've basically done it how I pick my horses and I've gone on the fact that he's got a great name. Um, <laughs> but a guy called Buddha Baker. All right. Just because I like the idea of it, just a fat guy baking some cakes, um, <laughs> but he's out of Washington and, and quite, quite frankly, I, I don't think he's a guy we would pick. Um, but yeah, why not? Why not take a chance on somebody in the late rounds just because he's got a great name? But look, I wanted to ask you something uh, here because for me, Jabril Peppers. Now, I don't think he's a guy that comes to the Packers in any way, um, but I wanted to ask you about him and what you thought of him. Um, one one issue I've got with him is, does he really have a definite position? Um He's listed sort of maybe as a safety. He kind of tested at the combine at linebacker. He also returns kicks. I think he possibly played some running back at college. Could this guy be one of the most talented players to come into the NFL or could he be a draft bust? So I would suggest in, in two years ago he would be a bust. But when you look at the guys, um, I can't think of the guy's name at Washington who's currently playing the hybrid role, but there's a guy at Atlanta, Deion Jones, who does the same thing. And we've okay. talked about Morgan Burnett doing the same for the Packers. Mm-hmm. Um those sorts of players make me think that defenses are evolving and that sort of hybrid role that you're seeing it will become more prevalent in the NFL. So with that in mind, I think that the likes of Peppers may have a may have a future. Whereas before I think you're right. I think he is a he's a bit of a tweener in terms of his more to do with the way he plays, isn't it? When you watch him play, he's he's quite a, an intense he, he bites on the play action and he's you know, he, yeah. he sort of he dives into tackle. He tackles like a linebacker. He likes to hit rather than, you know, the right tackle. So I think he's yep. a, a linebacker in a safety's body. Um, sure. And that's the thing, isn't it? So 
I don't know. I think there'll be a niche for him somewhere. I, I'm like, yeah, I don't think it'll be Green Bay. I think it'll be yeah. um, somewhere else than, than Wisconsin. But um, I, I like the guys in round two and three. I also like the guy from Nebraska, uh, Nate Jerry. I think he's a different different to what I've talked about previously, but I think he's also got, got talent as well. Yeah, I was uh, discussing Jabril Peppers with a with a friend of mine at football, and uh, I said essentially you've got to think of him as the Phil Neville of American football. That he has several positions, but nobody knows what he's best at. Yeah, and he's, he's probably not a looker then either. Uh, but I certainly think that's not something that the Packers need is somebody who doesn't wrap up in the tackle because, you know, we've sort of cribbed on the podcast so many times just about fundamentals. Um, you know sometimes with our cornerbacks and safeties what can end up happening is they go for that highlight reel hit and they don't end up wrapping up so you need someone who's going to be disciplined on the field and that comes with maturity and game time so I guess Andy that brings us down to special teams um, there's not a whole lot to say here we don't expect the sort of convoluted drama that we had last year with the punters which was just riveting let's face it um, so do you see any change um, here? There's enough punters with high grades that there'll be plenty available come free agency so I think it's um, the punters that are out there will take a good look around and decide where their best opportunity to go and get a job is. And I think that Sean is definitely a run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-road sort of punter, isn't he? So if I'm a punter coming out of college, I definitely fancy my chances going up to Wisconsin and earning a starting job. So I think that you'll see, you know, two days after the draft, we'll probably pick up a punter, if not, you know, um, a, a camp leg as well to, to compete with Mason as well. So... But that's where I see it. I don't see us picking up somebody in the draft. I don't think we can afford to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, that, that brings us then to the end of the draft podcast. I suppose we'll end it with uh, just a quick, really quick rundown, I suppose, of who you would pick ideally then as these Packer players, assuming that we don't trade out of the first and also then, what is the likelihood, do you think, that Ted will trade out of the first? And if so, then what's your rundown if that happens? Because as you said earlier in the pod, that really does change the whole strategy if we get maybe, you know, two second round picks, two third round picks, if he does trade out of the first. So it's changing by the minute. No, it's not really. I think um, <laughs> I would like, if we trade if, if we trade out of the first round, I would like to see us go with the with Jared Davis, the yeah. inside linebacker. and. Um, I, I don't think that will personally happen because it's not um, Ted's MO, but that's what I'd like to see. Um, and I'd like to see us pick up a safety, so whether it's the Marcus Williams or whether it's um, the, the guy from Texas, uh, either or would, would suit me fine. And I think further down the draft, you're looking at the likes of Brian Hill to sort of fill the running back sledger um, role. And then you're looking at potentially someone like Pochich, who would cover the sort of interior lineman and centre guard position and then further down it's it's more speculative in terms of that if we if we've got sort of no move and we stand pat at round one it'll be interesting to see won't it I like Charles Harris I think he's got more of an upside than TJ Watt as unpopular as that may be um, but either pick wouldn't surprise me um, that, that would be my view but I also think that Marlon Humphrey is a potential there at cornerback if we decide to go that way if we don't, I think that the Fabian Moreau, the guy from UCLA, is potentially a second-round pick. With that, with Pat Elfline, the guy we talked about extensively on the interior line, a real option there as well. So, what do you think, Rhino? Uh, if you were looking at Andy's picks, there, uh, would you agree with them? And are we going to grade him fairly harshly if it all goes tits up and we don't get anybody? <laughs> hey, look, I'm I'm, a, I'm pretty smart when it comes to this. I'll agree with what he says because it's easier to uh, to kick him when he's down if it goes wrong than, than <laughs> it is to you know congratulate him. Um, so no, I don't know. It's look, it's impossible, isn't it? Because there's so many things that can happen. 
you know, who knows? We might have a crazy year where Ted Thompson decides to get some picks together and go up the draft board. Um, you know, I think the last time we traded up was possibly to get Clay Matthews, if I remember. So, yeah, we have done it before. So you never know. This might be the year where we uh, we go all out in the draft. But more than likely, uh, you know, we'll probably we'll probably. I get the feeling that you're probably right. We'll probably trade down in the first round, so I'm not going to bother staying up all night and watching it. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what do you reckon? If he gets what what percentage, if he gets right, do you think he deserves some credit? I reckon if he gets two picks right, <laughs> I reckon he gets free drinks at the next party and maybe a, a, a hand shandy in the car parking lot paid, uh, paid for by Matt Tisdale and Tom Coles <laughs> yeah Tom Coles are well knowing how drunk Matt Tisdale gets he's the one giving the hand shandy in the car park so um, <laughs> that, that's certainly it but Andy look it was, it was an absolute pleasure speaking do you have you got any parting words no I always liken it to um, trying to pick the winner of the Grand National so you, you sit there with your newspaper sort of two weeks before the National and you look at the runners and riders and all the colours and you think oh I'm going to pick this this and this and actually when it gets to the day of the race you see a market move or you hear some information or somebody talks to you about this horse or that horse yeah. and you completely change your mind and you go in a different direction and I guess that's what happens on draft day so I'm quite comfortable yeah. with the players that, that I've looked at and reviewed and talked about today but once the board starts to evolve on the on day one and day two, you, you're left with then with different players and different circumstances. So, you know, look out for Twitter and all that sort of stuff. You, so I think so. Spriggs would be an example last year. So when it came to the Packers pick in the second round, you know, I was screaming Spriggs, 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 and back is the pick. But you know, that, that's how it sometimes works, and sometimes how it breaks down, isn't it? Because you're you're left with the most obvious pick out there, and it's, that's how it sort of pans out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is easy to sit here sort of 10 days removed talking about the draft, but it, when it comes down to the day, it, it does pan out an awful lot different to what you think it's going to do, a bit like the Grand National. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's a great way to describe it. Love well, cer- certainly, Andy, anyway, uh, from looking at your past articles and, you know, all the advice that you've given us in the past, you've pretty much been absolutely dead on with strategy. And we'll discuss and we'll, we'll have you on the podcast again then after the draft just to have a quick breakdown. And we'll undoubtedly see the fact that, you know, no matter how things have actually developed on the board, the draft strategy that you've probably suggested is more than likely what Ted Thompson's going to do. And we're not entirely convinced that you are not ted thompson but we leave it there uh, for this week and uh, we'll see how it all plays plays out for anyone who's not going to stay up for the draft fair play to you because uh, it's actually released the next day in paper so you don't have to stay up it's there for you it's there for you straight away so andy thanks very much it was great to have you on buddy yeah good evening chaps thanks very much